What's up, everybody? Welcome to Chop Talk, a comprehensive look at 80s horror. I am your host, Dave. I am joined with the Paul Heyman to my Roman Reigns, or the Roman Reigns to my Paul Heyman, (laughs) Mr. Kurt Morrison. What is up, my friend? We're on the same wavelength, my brother. <laughs> I, I I do not fill either role. You tell me what role I fill for on a on, on the Sunday or on this episode, and I can do that for you. I'll be the Heyman, you be the Reigns. So happy so. to have you here again. How how you doing today? I'm good, my man. I'm good. I'm happy as always. Uh, great first episode and great showing. Um, gotten a lot of good feedback. Thank you to everybody who's chimed in, who's DM'd us, um, who's applauded us. Some good feedback. Uh, we appreciate all of you, uh, Dave. How do you think? Uh, happy with our first episode? Buddy? Yeah, I, w- I got. I it's a first episode, so we will obviously get better from our first run. Um, I will say that I apologize for taking so long to all the listeners. This was <laughs> the this was a trip to hell, and I'm not talking about uh, Amleth and the Northmen. This was a <laughs> uh, literal literal hell to get this podcast up, and I'm I promise that it will not be that long again uh but same good feedback that i got on my end uh what a lot of the feedback that i got was they appreciate the fact that there's a podcast out there now that's actually looking at not just like the popular 80s horror films but more of the obscure societies one of them there are plenty that we will be covering in the near future but i decided and and spoke to kurt about this and said we're we're aficionados like we know we know the game but i feel like we need a voice a fresh blood a new member of the bloodline i may say Mm -hmm. and there is no one better than our horror padawan mr jack renault to become our third host here on chop talk mr jack renault welcome aboard jackie boy I'm excited to be doing this. Uh, although I should say, based on what you've shown me so far, Dave, I <laughs> am definitely slightly concerned about what's coming. <laughs> you don't know what you just signed up for, son. Certain, certain baskets and uh, certain movie fanatics uh, have certainly given me a really good gateway into this 80s horror genre. Yeah. What have uh, so far? It's been about seven, five or six films. That I that I've recommended for you so far, uh, with I think yeah. Fate to Black being your favorite, right? Yes, without question, for sure. Awesome. Uh, that, that's yeah. also definitely just the one I think is maybe the best made movie of everything that you sent, and then also Society's up there too. I think I think those two are definitely the standouts, and Excellent. then I certainly was a. A slightly upset that I had to miss the uh, Society podcast because, oh boy, well, did I have some thoughts about that? First. Listen, I remember doing a live commentary with you over Messenger while you were in the middle of watching Society, and it was like, <laughs> so, so Jack, I know we're covering a different movie today, but what are your quick thoughts on Society? I mean, it, it's great to have some feedback on that cinematic masterpiece about the rich and the poor and the social class divide. I mean, I think Kurt said it best uh, in the podcast. Uh, Society was the first 80s horror that you like suggested to me. And not only did you drop me in the deep end, but you tied a fucking brick to the end of my life, too. Because <laughs> I just went... I, that, that was definitely one of the more, I guess you would say, like frightening and disturbing ones of the ones I've seen so far. So it was definitely good to just get that one out of the way immediately. But I really liked it. Uh, I thought... It had really interesting commentary about uh, wealth and class and the way that it went about it was certainly unlike anything I'd seen before. Um, But no, I'm definitely excited to show that one to my friends. Uh, And then they're going to have to develop some sort of opinion about you, Dave, for suggesting these movies. I I hope it's a good one, but that's a very good segue. And what I love about these 80s movies we're going to cover is that a lot of these aren't just these cheese uh, practical horror type of films. A lot of them have commentary, which is the perfect way to intro our movie Ooh. this month, which is John Carpenter's They Live, a movie that I feel is extremely relevant in today's oh. Oh subculture. My I am so excited to talk about this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so, which takes us right into our first category, Steve Christie's Campfire, which is a general discussion on the first view of the film and thoughts uh, before we dive into the deeper aspects of it. Kurt, kicking it off with yes, you, your oh. first viewing of They Live, and I think me and you may have similar stories as to what drew us to They Live. Oh, my goodness. So, it has been probably two decades since I've seen this. This is actually, honestly, this is one of the first movies I got drawn to. They were discussing in the last episode that, um, you know, going to the video store when I was a kid, and, and this uh, VHS cover was drew me right in, sucked me right in. Big WWF fan growing up, you obviously as well. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but we've got a mixture of a, of a, a WWE star from the 80s, um, a fantastic VHS cover. And again, I, I watched it X amount of years ago. Couldn't tell you when it was, but I just kind of fluffed it off. Um, so when we were discussing our picks for the, the movies that we wanted to do for these episodes and so on and so forth, I was like, I got to give They Live a rewatch. Um, and Honestly, man, I think there's something to be said that the first, I'd say, 20 minutes of the film feels eerily, like eerily on the nose about society and this this socioeconomic climate, literally, that we're currently living in. And I want to get into this with you guys, obviously, as, as we're going along. But I think the irony of this is that, you know, this film was made in 1988, same year I'm, I'm born, pardon me. Um, and at the there's like five things really at the forefront of like the American consciousness. Um, you know, we got this like capitalistic approach to living and money over everything. There's a growing gap uh, in wage and in living conditions between the rich and the poor, um, obviously leading to immense tension. Uh, and, and a lot of American cities, Los Angeles, obviously being the setting for this one. And, and basically I would say the, the kind of pinnacle of homelessness, uh, even, even in, by today's standards, I would say uh, Reagan administrations in power. And then, you know, there's this main two main objectives um, of the Reagan administration. You've got the war on drugs, which um, is kind of like right at the forefront uh, and really like something that they're pushing uh, and the Cold War, man. And like, honestly, I guys, this sounds kind of familiar. Like right now, this is oh, what yeah. we're living in. Like it's it's not it's not a coincidence that like this film really kind of speaks to the masses still. And by the masses, I mean, like the kind of cult following that it's created. Um you know, I I think it's a prime example of Carpenter's genius as a fil filmmaker. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's got Halloween. Uh, he's got Escape from L.A. He's got um, The Thing. I, honestly, a personal favorite of mine. But, like, I think this is that that one that's off to the side that I, I love hearing people's thoughts about. Um, and, like, even just kind of deep diving into some other podcasts over the last week when, when we were prepping for this episode and hearing people's different takes on it um it's it's an interesting film what a what a phenomenal phenomenal addition this guy's filmography so jack yeah uh this was that like you said this was my first time watching it this is also only my third carpenter movie so i definitely uh, have more work to do on him i uh, have right. seen the two undeniable mm -hmm. peaks of carpenter i would say the original halloween and the thing yeah. Both of which I adore. Um, yeah, I'd actually heard about this movie before from Watch Mojo because there, I guess there was a list. It was like the best. I, it was like best action quotes of all time, and They Live was on the list. And so mm -hmm. that bubblegum line has definitely always stuck with me, despite having never seen the movie. But I watched it, and just like you said, Kurt, I was really, uh, I was really taken aback by how well this movie's aged, which mm -hmm. is more of a bad thing, actually. Um, yes. Yeah. And. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited to get into this movie. Um, I, I do have to say though, that it, it's definitely not a conventional horror because of everything that <laughs> you've recommended to me thus far, Dave, it definitely was like the one where like, I wasn't feeling like extremely tense a lot mm -hmm. of the time. I wasn't like getting grossed out like in basket case or something like that. So it's definitely more of kind of like a weird psychological horror when you actually just like think about it and like how well it lands at home so definitely yeah. unlike anything i'd seen that you've recommended so far yeah i agree yeah. with both of you i think the i while i was watching this time around i was actually noting things in today's media that would would be a good parallel and i think facebook Instagram algorithms are probably the best example of like this obey type of mindset. Like I, um, my wife and I got a cat like two years ago. This is like the first example that comes to mind. I can say literally like I've never had a cat infomercial or promo thrown my way at all. But the day I got my cat at home, the Facebook yep. and Instagram, that's all. It was like buy yeah, this, man. buy that. It's like this, yep. this, like you mentioned, the socio socioeconomic 
effect mm-hmm. that that movie has today is just incredible. Uh, yeah. First viewing of the movie was pretty much I had just started kind of creating this horror palette with like different things and me loving wrestling as much as I did. It was an episode yeah. of WCW Monday Nitro in 1996 or 19 or 90. Yeah, like late 1996. And they were talking about like how Piper went to Hollywood and he did mm-hmm. John Carpenter's They Live. And I'm like, what? What? John Carpenter? Like, that guy's the man. Like, he did Halloween. So, went to the video store and exactly what Kerr had said. Like, one of the best VHS box covers of the 80s. It's just an incredible, incredible uh, cover art. So, watched it and I was like, oh my god, this is actually not... I. I don't know if you feel the same, Kurt, but like, when I hear a wrestler is in a movie, I just automatically assume it's a bad movie. When Um, I was, when we were younger, like in the 90s. Like, oh, you know what? I, I'm the complete opposite. So like, when we were growing up and we had like Hogan and Suburban Commando or Mr. Nanny, that was my bread and butter, buddy. Yeah. So like, it's funny that like, I, I, in, my, in my mind, like those were like, oh, my favorite movies as a kid. I, and obviously, like I look back and I watch those now and like they're f- fucking atrocious. But it's funny that Piper, Roddy Piper, everybody who's, who's we're discussing, he's, he's the main character in the movie here, um, that he is the one of all the wrestlers, the 90 wrestlers, 90s, 80s and 90s wrestlers, I should say, who has the film that stands out. And, I agree. And withstands the test of time, right? And he was, this is all, I think, if I remember correctly, this is his only only film that he ever did. Like, no, he did a couple of like TV movies and he? stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. And we'll get it, once we get into the characters, I'll dive a little yeah. bit more into his uh, resume. But yeah, uh, because of me just loving wrestling and I'm like, oh my God, this movie is actually really good, but you kind of nailed it. I think this is, just off the top of the head, it's the best wrestler performance in film in the 90s era yeah. and i think yeah, i don't agreed. think it's a good discussion to have for later but i will say I, some other notes that i have this is the greatest street fight in cinema history <laughs> <laughs> um keith david I, I we're gonna talk about that scene later but man the fact that they don't have a score behind it and it's just them beating the shit out of each other yeah i think it, it's actually <laughs> more effective any music and it makes it so much better so much better um, the greatest use of bubblegum in cinema history. Yep. yep. Uh, we mentioned the relevancy to uh, to today. Very subtle moment, but when Piper cutting a promo on that old lady with how she looks like with the glasses on, uh, <laughs> it just reminded me of him coming cutting a promo in the eighties, like a, like on Jimmy Snuka or something along those lines during Piper's Pit. Uh, yeah. Jack, you mentioned a great line about Keith David during that fight. Do you want to repeat it about him? like giving piper shit to just put the glasses on yeah well well uh it it was just kind of weird i I was so like I, I mean i was gonna talk about this more when we talked about the individual characters but earlier on in the movie when like not starting to like realize like some like funky stuff is happening at the church uh mm-hmm. Keith David kind of gives him a look of like, look, man, like stay out of it and like all of this. And it seems like he might be like in on it all. But like when he's doing like when they're at the fight, he's trying to get the glasses on. Like he's just like so against it. Yeah. And it was just something that I was kind of just like confused by because it seemed like he was like in on it and just like knew what was going on. But it was just. Yeah. I was a little taken aback by how I guess unaware and like unwillingness to listen to Roddy Piper. Yeah, like I, to kind of piggyback off of that, like it's it's ironic and this is going to sound so cliche, but bear with me. It, it's, it's film is this medium where like, you know, artists are in case this case, writers and directors are able to con- convey um, an issue of their time. Um, and I think at that and especially in that exact scene where you've got Keith David's Frank and then Piper's not a fighting it, again, like it's it's kind of this for lack of a better word, like a little bit on the nose um where like people are so blind to what's standing right in front of them that they just don't want to actually admit that there is something wrong in front of them yep. right and there's one person screaming at the top of the, at their lungs um trying to tell the masses that like hey you know like look, look what's going on right and i think that's that's the core theme of the movie man i think that's why it's fucking brilliant like it's a really really interesting take and, and dave it's kind of creepy because i never really looked at it uh until you just said it that it's very applicable to even the social media world that we're living in right now. It's so dominant, right? So, uh, we'll get we'll get further into it, obviously. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the Twitter. The t- another another thing that I that I noted was Twitter because yeah. um, I used to have uh, I used to have separate Twitters, a personal Twitter, and then for the site, and then I just decided to merge it and just like get rid of one of them. And as I just merged one of them, the types of pages that will pop up on my feed. Mm-hmm 
just completely changed. It wasn't just film. It had uh, you had sports pages, wrestling pages just populate there just because of the track record that I have. It's just a very interesting thing to look at. But yeah, let's move on to the next category, which is Haddonfield Herald. Where we look at the production of the film. So the idea for They Live came from a short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in November 1963. And the short story involved an alien invasion invasion in the tradition of invasion of the body snatchers, uh, which Nelson, along with artist Bill Ray, adapted into a story called Nada, published in, in the Alien Encounters comic anthology in April 1986. Uh, John Carpenter has gone on to describe Nelson's story as a DOA type of story in which a man is put in a trance by a state hypnotist when he awakens he realizes the entire human race has been hypnotized and that alien creatures are controlling humanity he has only until eight o'clock in the morning to solve the problem carpenter acquired the film rights to both the comic book and short story and wrote the screenplay using nelson's story on a basis for the film's structure because the screenplay was a product of so many resources a short story a comic book and an input from the cast and crew carpenter decided to use the pseudonym frank armitage an allusion to one of the filmmaker's favorite writers, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Carpenter has always felt a close kinship with Lovecraft's worldview, and according to the director, Lovecraft wrote about the hidden world, the world underneath. His stories were about gods who repressed and were once uh, on Earth and are coming back. Jack, you had wanted to say something there? Uh, yeah, Frank Armitage, I believe, is also Keith David's credited name for the movie, for his characters. So interesting use of the pseudonym there. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For a crucial role of Nada, filmmaker, uh, Carpenter casts Roddy Piper, as you mentioned before. Uh, mm -hmm. it, for Carpenter, he was quoted saying, it was an easy choice. Unlike most Hollywood actors, Roddy has life written all what over him. Carpenter what a was, quote. Yeah. What a quote. And, and right. And spot on, man. Totally spot right, on. man. Totally uh, right. Carpenter was impressed with Keith David's performance in The Thing and needed someone who wouldn't be a traditional sidekick but could hold his own. To this end, Carpenter wrote uh, the role of Frank specifically for Keith David. I wanted to touch on the the name Nada because it kind of – it's a nice uh, – rather than just calling – because in another world with another director, this guy would probably just be changed from the title of the, of the, the short story Nada to just being called John Doe. I like the fact that nada is essentially the same thing in Spanish. It's it nothing. It's 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 an emptiness. Uh, yeah. So I do like that. And yeah, look, I agree a hundred percent with his casting of uh, of Piper and his reasoning for it. I mean, it. I think in eighty when he was cast in eighty seven, I think Piper was at an all time high in the industry. So I think that's Absolutely. the you weren't going to get someone like Hogan because I don't. I, I'm glad they didn't. He didn't oh, even I, try. I it doesn't become a John Carpenter's science fiction horror movie anymore. It becomes a Hulk Hogan. It did. It's it's the 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 definition of both WWF and WCW. I agree. It becomes the Hogan show. It yep. becomes a Hogan show, and then this gets pushed aside as as not a movie about uh, again like a social commentary and so on and so forth, and and a good one at that. It becomes just like a a stepping stone for Hogan's Hollywood career, uh, and the movie tanks. The movie would have fucking done abysmal. Abs so, absolutely. And honestly, you. you to piggyback on when you said it would not just be it'd be a, a, a joke today where rather yep. than looking at social commentary, we'd be looking at the exactly. campy performance by Hogan. I mean, Absolutely. Piper takes it serious and this is a real dramatic performance. This isn't just a a campy nonsense that Hogan would give us in the 80s. Exactly. Exactly. So and like, I mean, hey, whatever. Dude. Hogan Hogan had a much bigger career in Hollywood than um, than Piper. Uh, but and as far as I'm concerned, man, and this is my, my kind of attack line as a even as a trainer quality versus quantity man so yep. i'd rather i'd rather release one banger and and go down in pop culture history um and again be quoted with the bubblegum line then then put out a bunch of crap so Jack, I sorry i interrupted you do do we want to go ahead and tackle the big casting what if for the movie go for it to hear it because i was trying to find some please tell me <laughs> who so the role of nada was originally written for somebody else any guesses of who that could be, considering the director? Uh, yes, Kurt, yeah, it's got to be Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Yep. Did you? How, know so, my, how does that movie um, turn out? I did you know that my mother had a crush on Kurt Russell in the eighties? I don't blame her. Guess, guess where my name came from? Yeah, yeah. I do Fun not. Fact. I don't Fun know. Fact. Fact. <laughs> I got life written all over my face. So, okay? all I need, Kurt, is for you to grow out the hair. And get the beard. <laughs> so when we cover the thing, I just you, need to be looking need, at Kurt. You need Russell. to get the thing cowboy hat too. Yeah, okay, guys. Okay, you know what? Just wait. we get a few more months. I'll grow it out. I'll do the beard. I gotta. I gotta be a little bit more clean shaven for the wedding next month. After that, 
balls to the wall and, and like a trash and, bag. Uh, to so. answer your question before Kurt chimes in on that, I think it yeah. still would have worked. I think it still works. One hundred percent, it works. Yeah, I agree. I I, I personally that's think... a fun what if, like just mm-hmm. to think of, because I mean, I'm not, Piper's I'm... a wrestler, he's not an actor, but I think you put Kurt Russell, like that. That Kurt Russell from Big Trouble in Little China mixed with that like neurotic, anxious Kurt Russell from The Thing, and that's a still a really good movie. That's still a great yeah. movie. So, uh, and I personally think once I know Jack is getting his, and Big Trouble is not a horror movie, Jack. It's just, but I, mm. I personally knowing your taste, I think yeah. that'll be top three for you, Carpenter. I think so. Okay, I think so. Yeah, it is I agree so much fun. That movie is, is insanely fun, and I'm it trying is. to see what he was doing at the time. So in 1987, oh yeah, yeah, don't I? He was doing Overboard and <laughs> Tequila Sunrise and Winter yep. People in that in that he, little time frame there. I, if I remember correctly, mm. they were prepping for Tango and Cash. Um, oh, cinematic delight that he, is. Right, right. So he was already signed on for it. So, um, gentlemen. Uh, I had a question. Oh, sorry. I want to go back to something really quickly yep. here. So uh, at a time when, I mean, uh, Carpenter had some pull, man. Like, I mean, he's he's coming off of some kind of hits and misses, at least by our perspective, uh, you know, hits now. Um, but, you know, he, he's got a tumultuous 80s, and this is at the kind of tail end of the decade. And he gets $3 million for the budget for this thing, right? So even by today's perspective, right? So I'm on I'm on the numbers.com here and the gross dem- sorry, pr- production budget production budget was 4 million, my apologies. Um this thing goes on to gross 13 million dollars. Um after Halloween weekend because they wanted to separate it from uh Halloween 3 or Halloween 4, another Carpenter co-production. Uh and I mean 13 million dollars back then, man, even adjusted to inflation is is pretty good. It, I mean, it opened number 1 at the box office. Which, which I think even Carpenter was surprised by. Yeah, yeah, man. And like again, nevertheless, so, oh, pardon me. So adjusted for uh, inflated, adjusted domestic box office is twenty nine million dollars. That's yeah. again phenomenal based on on well for a, a lower budget uh, sci fi film. But yeah, I, I think that Carpenter made a career out of of, of being able to utilize uh, a lower budget. And there, I say the lower budget, and I actually want to go back to this when we get to our uh Grundlefly's cocoon because some of the practical and visual effects i think that this is where the low budget comes right to the forefront but it works to its advantage and carpenter in my opinion works magic with just the simplicity of some of the things like the glasses and and so on and so forth but we'll get to that later we'll and i later. and oh. and i didn't want to touch on since you brought up carpenter's resume i love uh, that despite the fact that he had some like movies like a solemn pre Precinct 13, Halloween, yeah. The Fog, Escape from New York, the thing. He still directed TV movies during the era, which yeah. is pretty interesting. He directed the only Elvis biopic I had seen at the time, starring mm-hmm. Kurt Russell. So it's a very yeah. – it's not bad, actually. It's actually pretty decent. Um, I will say, like, despite the fact that he has mostly bangers, um, the only movie from this era all the way up to They Live that I don't really like is probably one of his, his most popular films, Starman. Starman, yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, I really don't love it. Yeah, it's that. Outside of that, after that, he did mem- memoirs of an invisible man in the mouth of madness, village of the damned, escape from LA, vampires, and then we don't really need to talk about ghosts of Mars and the ward. We, it's, we, it's there. The ghosts of Mars is it's there, but we just we pretend that it's it a doesn't. bastard cousin and, in the corner at Thanksgiving. That's like. You just put up with him, and we'll never touch this movie on the podcast because mm-hmm. we're only doing eighties. But I am mm-hmm. literally one of the biggest guilty pleasure fans of escape from LA. Like it's not good, but I, I have a good time with it. Like they're, they're, fun with it. it could be worse. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you touched it. on the budget. It made $13 yeah. million. And uh, mm. that pretty much wraps up that aspect of the, of the, of the podcast. We're going to move on to how, mm. Howard school of sound. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in your thoughts of this score. So the score was done by Alan Howarth and John Carpenter. Who we've named this category over. Yes, kids. Alan Howarth is my boy. Uh, he is. N- very he nice is. man. I've seen him in concert. He's pretty dope. Uh, I I hope you agree with me. We'll see here. But mm-hmm. I think the the only thing iconic that I will say I can listen to outside the movie is yeah. that it, that dialogue in the beginning of the score, like the intro dialogue. I think the movie, mm-hmm. uh, the soundtrack and the score feels very repetitive at times. I, that's what I wrote. Yeah. And yeah, 
while it works perfectly watching the movie, it's mm-hmm. never one that I say, you know what, I love Alan Howard, I love Carpenter scores, uh, let me pop in They Live. That's not a sentence yeah. that ever crosses my mind. Uh, no. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Jack? I'll start with you here. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I think, um, I think Carpenter learned a lot from uh, Morricone after doing The Thing because that score is definitely a lot more like tone-based as opposed to... Definitely. I think Halloween is a bit more of like scoring the scene. Yeah. So I think this one is a bit more of just like setting the tone. I, it kind of felt like it, it gave me like taxi driver vibes if it was set like in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I but I completely agree. Like mm. it's definitely a step down in mm. terms of listenability because like I do listen to the Halloween score like mm. sometimes if I'm just like driving or doing mm. something like that. But I don't think I'd ever like go to Spotify and look this up. What about you, Kurt? Um, obviously, guys, uh, Alan Haworth is, is a name. Uh, I, I think he's an unsung hero. I'm uh, glad that we've, we have uh, we've brought him to the forefront here of, of the 1980s chop talk um, and a name you're going to hear a lot throughout the entire podcast for the years to come. Um, yeah, here's how I described it. Um, mixture of <laughs> blues synth harmonica <laughs> and a George Thorogood style bad to the bone esque heavy bass guitar <laughs> that at times at, at, at times it sounds like it could be the coolest goddamn thing in the history of film, but becomes so repetitive that by the end of the movie, you just want it to stop. And I was like, Oh, it pained me to write it. But as the movie went on, I was like, Oh, we heard this like 35 minutes ago in the exact same type of thing. Yeah. And like that happens, that happens a lot, but it's just like, uh, I, I agree. With, I agree with both of you guys. hundred um, percent. I do. The end credit piece of music is not used a lot, right? No. Because nope. I really dug that that yeah. little piece. I'm like, I wish they yeah. could have found the place for it in, in the actual yeah. movie. Uh, but yeah, not a lot else to talk about this score, but uh, no. a little bit underwhelmed. But I think uh, next month's score will impress Jack. I know Kurt probably listened to it already. I think it's one of oh, Carpenter's yeah. most underrated scores. Uh, we'll talk about that next month. But yeah, let's move on to Elm Street's Kids, where we break down the cast of the, the, cast of the film, cast and characters of the film. So... Mm. I usually like when we did when we did society, Kurt, like I try to write as many as possible. There's not that many to choose from here. No. Um, no. So I I'm going to start with um, obviously Roddy Piper, Roddy Roddy Piper as as Nada. Uh, for mm. anyone that's unaware, he's a former WWF wrestler and who retired from pro wrestling to begin acting. Um, outside of They Live, some of the stuff mm. that I found that I have seen was uh, just uh <laughs> Episodes of Silk Stockings, and the Amen. and the only reason I saw episodes of Silk Silk Stockings was because they used to be right after Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. That's honestly the only thing I've seen from him after uh, outside of They Live. Uh, Kerr, what about you? Uh, so I have a confession. Uh, first and foremost, Hot Rod, uh, one of the most underappreciated uh, professional wrestlers of all time, should have won a WWE Championship. Yes. WWE championship. Yes. That's a debate for another topic. I uh, serve for another podcast. Uh, but guys, I have a confession. I'm like 99% of the way through this movie. Uh, and like it just kind of like dawned on me. I was like, I'm because I'm doing my notes. I'm, right, I'm like, what's his name? And I, as I'm sitting <laughs> there, my fiance strolls by and I have this like dumb, like really confused look on my face. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I actually had to think about it. Like I think to admit it. And then I was like, I have no fucking clue who Piper plays this like none zero absolutely zero so as the credits roll I'm sitting there kind of puzzled and I'm, you know they storm the television station I'm just like it's the climax of the movie and I was like is my memory like like am I am I getting old like I'm 34 next month like am I getting that bad like do I have pre-Alzheimer's like what's going on and then the credits roll and Nada comes up and I was like but nobody says it and then again like you, uh, you were discussing Dave like you dive into it and like the kind of the allegory to the name not a zero you know nothing and I was like oh what an interesting play I'm brain dead but what an interesting play <laughs> I, I I don't know and I mean I I think this is the perfect area to discuss it um we don't know where he comes from and no. I and I don't read the no. source I didn't read the source material before before watching the movie even yeah. on my rewatch do we have any assumption that he may not be human? That he may be one of them, and he doesn't know he is. I guess we never see him look we, at himself we, we, in a we, mirror. Yeah, we, or, yeah, or we never get a shot of like yeah. Frank look at him. So we would never mm. know. 
Because even when Frank puts on the glasses, he doesn't look at Piper. He's looking at everything no. outside mm-hmm. of Piper. And you, you could... Yeah, it's an interesting... <laughs> it's just an interesting idea that, yeah, he's Nada, but maybe yeah. he is someone to another species. Just an interest, interesting idea, man. I guess that's where, huh. the, that's where the horror, the horror aspect for me comes. Like, there, I feel like there's cool. always, there's always a twist somewhere with these movies, and it's just like an yeah. idea to discuss. Uh, but yeah, Jack, Roddy Piper, I, I can't imagine you were uh, watching uh, Wrestling Challenge in Saturday Night's Main Event. In your, in your, <laughs> so, oh, what oh, are your yeah. thoughts? Ten years before I was born, big fan <laughs> of Roddy Piper. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think the fact that I didn't know him as a wrestler. Uh, actually helped his performance land in terms of like believability because a lot of people whose like reviews that I've read have like brought up an I- brought up issues of like oh he's flat he's just like not it's too distracting but like I, since I didn't know who he was it didn't really make an issue to to me but I'm also just a big fan of cheesy one-liners and Roddy Piper certainly has many of those oh. even out even outside of the just when you yeah. think you have all the answers, I changed change the, the questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually have a list of my top three. Go for it. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so let's go. Number three, life is a bitch. She's back in heat. <laughs> no, number two, mama don't like tattletales. <laughs> And then number one, I, I I had to exclude the bubblegum line because mm-hmm. too obvious, but it's the, this one, you're okay. But this one, real fucking ugly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, his character is just really entertaining. Uh, and yeah, I, I certainly don't buy into the distaste towards Piper playing the character. Mm-hmm. But I do, but I will say I certainly would have liked to have seen the... Uh, alternate timeline where we do get Kurt Russell as Nada. Kurt, any other thoughts on Piper? Hey, he's my guy, man. He's my guy. Yeah. Scottish boy. You're looking at one right now. So Hot Rod was my guy growing up, man. I, I As much as I loved, you know, the Hogans and so on and so forth. Um, there were two guys that really stood out. One of them we actually ironically lost last month. Scott Hall. Scott yeah. Hall, Razor Ramon, and Hot Rod. Uh, these are my two fellows that I grew up with, you know, the, the, the fast talk and heel, uh, and the guys who were good on the microphone. And, and that might've translated a little bit to my, my, my villain, like, um, uh, persona in, in the league of cinephiles. But, um, yeah, man, I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, um, you know, Keith David has kind of, again, listed the test of time and he's had a wonderful career. And, and I loved Carpenter's quote about like, he needed to cast somebody who could hold his own with piper and i think he does a great job oh yeah uh, because piper is this tower of a man you know 240 pounds of muscle um and you see it in the goddamn movie right so yeah i don't think anybody else really needs to be showcased in this part of the, in the podcast and the discussion because everybody else is honestly not to sound like a dick uh rather forgettable um, oh yeah it's a, it's, i do it's a piper and keith david show i so. do have uh a couple of mentions outside of piper yeah. and keith but i did want to talk a little bit about keith the fact that i think he's one of the most essential character actors of the 80s. I agree. Yeah, um, I agree. And he yeah, also has he also has a history with WWF, WWE, because he was actually doing voiceovers for pay-per-views in the, mm-hmm. I think in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. So, yep. But some of the stuff that Keith, for anyone that's not aware of Keith David's work, he was in Platoon. He was a guilty pleasure of mine. He was in Roadhouse. Um, <laughs> he was in Clockers, Dead Presidents, uh, Volcano, Hercules, Armageddon, There's Something About Mary, Pitch Black, Requiem for a Dream, The Replacements. You name it, there's a movie that he was in that you'll know. Yep. So I think, like you mentioned before, I think he he is the perfect, uh, I wouldn't even say second banana. I think they're both co-leads. I think they're perfectly balanced together. Uh, yeah. And like I said, that fight, that it, it should not, it should be ridiculous. And it is to an extent. But I can't help but like enjoy it and laugh every time I watch it because Same. I've been in fights and I don't know if you've been in fights, Kurt, but like they don't last that long. <laughs> <laughs> it was like watching two Wolverines who just don't know when to quit. Just be like, no, we're not done yet. OK, we're going for round four. Um, and it's good. I think, again, that, that plays up the campiness to it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but it also, uh, I think, really brings to the point and this is just me overthinking and overanalyzing 
that um, 1980s American alpha capitalist bravado, like, no, 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 you're not, you're not going to beat me. No, we're not done until I say we're done type of attitude. Right. And I, and I think during this time period, this is uh, something that really kind of echoes just the whole decade, not just, you know, uh, film or, or, or such. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Anything you want to add, Jack? Uh, to Keith David. Uh, yeah. No, I got to get, I got to give my whole spiel about his distaste towards, or his lack of, or no, his stigma against putting on the glasses earlier. So mm-hmm. I right. got all that out of here. The only reason I want to bring up Meg Foster, a uh, very nice lady. I met her a few years ago as Holly Thompson. Um, she's a character actress from the 80s. I've only seen her in Stepfather 2, Miami Vice, and Twin Peaks. But nice. she is. We haven't seen Masters of the Universe. She's in Masters oh! of the Universe? Oh my God. Wait, who is she in yeah. Masters of the Universe? Uh, she wait, is. Oh my God. I forgot. I, <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I, I was going through the filmographies and I was just like, okay, so the only other movie I know her from is Masters of the Universe. Masters I got to pull universe. up the Jack. I got to pull up the name. Jack, Dude. I love you for bringing up Masters no. of the Universe. Like this and Flash Gordon, I think we're going to be best friends forever. Masters oh my of God, the universe guys. Is, oh. We were yeah, evil, to be a trio. Evil Lynn. Evil Lynn. Evil Lynn. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. That is fantastic, Jack. That is a great play. Wow. I thought, I thought I thought y'all would have known that. Wow. Let, let me tell you something. Um, I oh, like no guns a blazing on his first episode. I folks. liked her as Evelyn more than I did as Holly. <laughs> She's a. She, I, I, listen, no disrespect, but like, you gotta give you gotta call Nada an idiot because she was a straight up like asshole to him from the jump, and she has the funniest moment in the movie when she smack. What did she smack him with, Jack? MG it's like bottle. a teacup. wine. It's like a, I thought it was like a wine bottle, and the, and then like pushes him out the window. Oh my god! It was. I thought that was hilarious. But um, she's not. I mean, there's bare bones character. She's it. <laughs> there's nothing to her. Um, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to mention uh that scene. Uh, and the other all the other characters in the movie that I guess I mean I don't have really anything to add was uh Raymond Saint Jacques as the street preacher, uh George Buckflower as the drifter. And then uh, Peter Jason as Gilbert. Do you have anything to add to those guys or not really? Who was Gilbert mm. again? Uh, one second. I had a picture of him on my phone. Because uh, there was one guy who, who like, he van- he vanished with, like, the watch. And he was just like, see ya, boys. <laughs> he's, that just made me laugh my ass off. He's the, one th- he's the one that was running the ship wearing that members-only jacket. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. By the way, before we move on yeah. to our next category, I gotta say, um, peak season for flannels, 1988, 1989. Yeah, man. Yo, let's let's make it oh, happen. I, I, I can't, I can't it believe I didn't even bring this up yet. Speaking of fashion, mm. top three uses of sunglasses in movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's gotta quick be the Mount Rushmore. Quick list. Can can I at least chime in? So they live. Yeah. Go 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 ahead. Throw out your. They live. Top Gun. Okay. Yeah. Top Gun. Footloose. No, sorry, not Footloose. Um. Oh my God. Risky business. Okay. Yes. Yes. I, top three. Yep. I have your. T- I I give you your top two, and I agree with you, and I will give you Terminator two. Okay. 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 Yeah, that takes risky business. I think. Yeah. I, that, that trumps it. I, I'm I'm keeping risky business in mind because that's one of my ten favorites ever. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Terminator Jack, two. Yeah. Don't tell me that you do that. They they you walk around in like a, a like a a button down and dancing around the house no, when no one's around. And I around. hate the fact that that is the one thing that people remember from that movie because it's yeah. so good. I do it's love. All, it's all that gets credit. I love that movie, so I'm with you. It's Great. one of my favorite cruises. Uh, but yeah, I think that I think this is peak season for for sunglasses and flannels. I don't remember flannels being used as as so perfectly that it was in this movie. Uh, next category is the one that Kurt kind of teased before Grundlefy. Grundlefly's cocoon, where we break down the practical and visual effects in the film. You brought it. You started the conversation earlier, so I will let you take it from here, Kurt. Sure. All right. Um. So okay. You know, I don't even want to say it's a lower budget. I mean, four million dollars. Four million dollars. Um. But even back in '89, I mean, that that would probably be a, make your dollar go further than it would now, for sure. Uh. But I think I want to begin with the practical effects. You know, they're simple yet fun and effective. Um. And unlike the thing, which is so uh heavy and it's beautiful i think one of the greatest uh, practical effects movies ever in regards to the, the monster stuff 
they live only really needs the practical effects when not on Frank obviously have the glasses on and we're seeing the aliens for what they really are. I think this works to its advantage because it pays this perfect homage to like those B movies of the fifties where especially in this case uh, in they live where the makeup um, that's applied to the actors faces. And when the actors as the aliens, um, their mouths are moving, the words that are coming out don't line up with, mm-hmm. with what they're actually saying because the make, and I actually looked at this because the makeup apparently was so heavy on their face with not only um, like practical makeup, but also um, uh, what's, what's the uh, word? Uh, not plaster. Jesus Christ. Prosthetics. Sorry with prosthetics. Like it's, it's laughable at times, but I think that's, that was the intention. Like, I think this is, this is actually Carpenter's intention um, with these, these practical makeup effects and such. And, and the other, other thing I want to touch upon, and I, I brought this up too earlier was, um, you know, the, the, the drone crafts that the aliens use to monitor the streets of LA is so schlocky looking and it's not scary. It's, it's almost like goofy a la in the same vein as like these, uh, you know, uh, war of the world style alien drones. Uh, but the schlockiness and the kind of offbeat ofness of it um is fun and, and, I, and i think that again that goes back to not even like a budgetary standpoint but like just trying to uh bring home a case in point that you know we're, we're you're not supposed to take this as as, as seriously uh as you might be watching it uh, and it's fun i think at the end of the day it's fun everything practical uh because i mean the visual effects i don't really i wouldn't say that there are a hell of a lot in them uh the alien ship is kind of just meant to look like it's hanging through or off of a fishing rod with a string so uh fellas thoughts yeah jack what do you think yeah i I was gonna completely agree with that i think if this movie gets made today like they pretty much just have the normal camera work with just like a black and white filter over it but john carpenter's influence from uh like the thing from another world and like uh invasion of the body snatchers and all that kind of stuff like he definitely mm-hmm. like took advantage of the black and white mm-hmm. cinematography and made it his own with like the slow motion like it's not 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 slow motion but like the way that like like the buses would move and like mm-hmm. like the a like the alien ship would go it all looked very like 1950s-esque so yeah i certainly really liked his approach with that and then like you were talking mm-hmm. about with uh the alien prosthetics it all just looked really sick to me it was yeah. really interesting to see it in color there yeah. at the end which really helped stick the land for or stick the landing for it well said because uh, very well said and i did want to i did want to add for the simplicity of the effects used in the film it's one of the most pot i go to horror conventions a lot it is one of the most popular cosplays in mm-hmm. any horror convention that i go to is mm-hmm. that makeup that's used when when piper puts the glasses on it's yeah. uh in color it's it's actually very beautiful to look at. It's weird me yes. it's weird for me to say, but it's the colors on that design is yeah. are pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh yeah, and I agree with every, I co-sign everything you guys said. I think it's for the for the minimal minimalistic budget that they had, I think it's extremely effective and it's had like a a, a long life. Uh yeah, and then that brings us to the one Jack, that, I didn't mean to interrupt you by the yeah. way. I do apologize. I was I, oh. I, you said it so well. I echo that sentiment. It brings the movie full circle with that last three minutes when we're finally able to see what they look like in color mm-hmm. and it like you said it pops it's beautiful looking um and it actually packs a punch where it's like oh wow okay cool this isn't that like now black and white filter that we've been we've been analyzing these guys through it's like a they're at the forefront and this is what you're getting like, what you see is what you get now um and it, fuck man i think it's such a good climax piper dies uh, a glorious death and that is completely okay. Sorry, not a dies uh, a death, um, but that sacrifice is finally allows us to to see the world for what it is. And bravo, bravo! I, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed the last 10, 15 minutes of this movie. So. Yeah. Did you, uh, Jack? You said you had a comment. You felt like you, uh, while you liked the film, you thought that it should have been a little bit longer. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I guess I was just going into it expecting more of like. Roddy Piper in the sunglasses, blasting aliens with a shotgun, which, like, we do get, but I guess just not as much in the context of, like, the bubblegum sequence, which, like I mentioned earlier, is, like, pretty much my sole uh, exposure to this movie out of, like, the last, like, five years or so before I actually sat down and watched it. But I, I, I wouldn't have mind if it was a little bit longer, but I certainly wasn't. 
I certainly don't think anything like should have been cut from what we did get. I, I agree. So we move on to the next category. We got two more to go here, but this is the one that Jack has been teasing all week and I'm very curious about. So we have Sleepover with Voorhees where we look at the best and worst kill in the film. Uh, Kurt and I will kick off the best kill and I definitely want to hear your thoughts on the worst kill because I couldn't I I'm, I couldn't put together where you're going, Jack. So for me, I'm very I'm uh just call me the basic bitch of the podcast because for the best kill, I just went with the bank scene, the chew bubble gum and kick ass and him just murking people at, <laughs> at the bank. Um yeah, I think that's easily for me the best of the movie. Uh Kurt, what do you have here? Uh mine's mine's the laughable one. Um and, and I I'll go basic bitch as well here. It's them in the church. Uh, I'm sorry. I think we've had technical difficulties with Kurt. Okay. Uh, so you're okay, I was good. like, that's not. Hello. Yep. Can you guys hear me? Yep. You're good. Go yeah, ahead. There we go. Sorry, guys. All right. All right. So um, I'm going to go uh, kind of piggybacking off what you're saying, though. So rather than Piper blowing everybody away, uh, the police force bursting through the wall and going real bravo on everybody like literally massacring this entire group of what they call <laughs> terrorists. Um, it's, it's bloody. It's, it's pretty brutal. You see a lot. And those like practical style bullet wounds and shots, like just blowing up to the max is great. Like you see one guy and I, I if I counted correctly, I even slowed it down. I think there's 15 or 16 bullets that, that hit him. So you just see bah, 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 and all, of, all the casings essentially going off on his chest. I'm like, yeah, sign me up for this. This is, this is prime. 80s like just gore fest type of action i dig that so that's my favorite kill i don't know if it's the best kill but that's my favorite one what do you got that that was that was my favorite too but i did have a second one here and it's when he shoots the alien ship and who are you little fella come to show (laughs) where i am huh not nice and that that just that just killed me when i first watched it what do you got for worse because this is what i've been curious about wow uh this one just like I, I didn't think any of them were like outright bad. I just kind of went by like, which one did I just like kind of thought like, eh, the death acting may be a little bad, but it, it's Holly. It's Holly. Like, get, yeah. get, 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 <laughs> get shot holding the gun and just goes like, <laughs> it's like all life in her body is like gone in that yeah. one second. It just retains the exact position and just falls backwards. So what you're saying is that she shouldn't have won an Oscar for this. Um, she should have won it for Masters of the Universe. That's true. Yeah, that give it to Masters of the Universe. That is true. <laughs> I think I kind of want to co-sign that, that then. I can't, like, I, I'm with you. I don't really think there's anything over outright bad in terms of kills in the movie. But what do you have, Kurt? Oh, Holly, 100%. <laughs> uh, I, like, I, I didn't even put, I just put <laughs> Holly, period. Nothing. Else. <laughs> I will say, I actually it's really a- like... She just becomes like a board, like like you said, like yeah. she, she's in the position, and then she just falls backwards, like as if like her body got like rigor mortis like, the minute she she died. It's like in Jackass Three with the high five as sec- as soon as Bam gets hit, just flies <laughs> back. Um, Perfect but, analogy. Perfect but, but analogy. An, another one I actually really liked. I I did like. Uh, I, I did like Keith David's death quite a bit. Just how how quickly it came, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> but, but also, yeah. but also, kind of a little just cut too short, anticlimactic. I was like, "Oh well, there goes Keith David." I agree. I agree. I do. Agree with you. I do have some some little facts that I'm going to throw after we finish our last category. But this is the I did a little research into Ron Tomatoes, uh, John Carpenter scores. This is his second highest in his career, which is surprising because really? I I would have expected that the thing would have been. Uh, number two, but that's actually only at eighty three, and this is at eighty five, which is interesting. Wow. Um, but yeah, finishing finishing up, we have one good scare, which is our final thoughts on the film. Uh, obviously, I think this is we talked about it throughout this this hour regarding how original the film was for the time and how relevant it is today. But I did mm-hmm. in my research, I also saw that in 2010 there was a development on a remake of the film. Oh, yes, get into this. I kind of wanted it with who was set to direct it. <laughs> Man, could you imagine oh. if they throw this this fastball at us all of a sudden? 
Oh. It's like you you get to do well. Do do you want to keep building the suspense of who it was or? It's it's say? go ahead, go for it, Jack. Yeah, I was gonna say because maybe they want to. Maybe he goes, okay, mm. you do the Batman trilogy for us, and we'll let you do They Live remake. Oh my Matt Reeves. God, and Batman. and I get it because he had just done Let Me In, and that's one of the best horror remakes ever made, and like. I would have. I would have loved to see what he did did here. Uh, But yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on everything in terms of how great this film is, and that's why I'm glad you picked it, Kurt, because we can we can easily talk about more popular Carpenter films, but this is one that I feel is more important for many out there to listen to and watch because of the significance it has for today's pop culture and just society as a whole. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it's as time goes on, and I've conversed with a lot younger folk. It's just interesting to see how little, how little connection they have to some of these films. It's it's especially us growing us growing up in the '90s and early 2000s. I mean, everyone knew what they live was, but now you talk to like a 20, 20, 20 to twenty five year old, and they're like, "What's that? Like, yeah. isn't that the guy that made Halloween?" And I'm like, yeah. "Come on, as, as Jack, as Jack waves, oh, so cute." <laughs> Yeah, man, I think that um, you hit the nail on the head. I, I, it's not Carpenter's um, uh, shining point in his career, mm-hmm. but it's the unsung hero that I really want to get more eyes on. Uh, and guys, anybody who's listening, I, I highly recommend that you give this a shot, give this a chance, turn your brain off, have some fun with it. Uh, it might be one of the most ludicrous sci-fi psychological thrillers you're ever going to see in your life, um, but you'll have a damn good time with it. And uh, yeah, I think that it's, it's relevance. Uh, and its commentary is eerily similar, as I said, to, to start the pod, to what we're living in now uh, with several different factors that, again, we could we could talk more and more about. But, uh, again, with rose-colored glasses, we can watch it as a film or we can watch it as this commentary. And it is up to you, the watcher slash listener. And I will wrap it there. Jack. Yeah, uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is only my third Carpenter film, so I'm allowed to contribute the sentiment that I don't think he's made a bad movie yet from what I've seen. Uh, Granted, this is definitely the one of the three I've liked the least, but I definitely think this one will improve upon rewatch, especially now having done this conversation, as well as getting older and becoming more smart about the world around me and all that kind of stuff. But I also do, do think the remake would be really good, especially now that you have all the social media aspects and i really think a modern approach to this movie would absolutely would definitely be able to stand on its own from the original while still being able to enjoy both sorry to cut you off jack all dependent on who directs it and writes it because this Mm -hmm. could this could easily be destroyed in the wrong hands Mm. yeah and Mm -hmm. i and i feel like someone with like reeves would probably be more Mm. pro practical effects rather than cgi and we don't have to worry about how terrible these creatures or aliens will look once you have like once nada has the glasses on so uh, i'm down for it but it's all dependent on who gets their hand on it uh but mm-hmm. yeah to finish up i actually have a f- couple of little fun facts about the movie that i always like to close these podcasts that are uh, retrospectives mm-hmm. with um just six. So one of them is actually real nice. Carpenter brought in real homeless into the production for several scenes uh, and Bravo. smaller characters and gave them food as well as paychecks, which is very, That's very nice up. of him. Um, Man of the people, John Carpenter. Piper actually commented on it saying he thought it was a pretty classy thing to do. Uh, mm. To the For a wrestling fan like uh, Kurt and I, this does not shock anybody. The, I, can't, I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out mm. of bubble gum was ad-libbed by Piper, which is... Yep. Come on, of course. That's uh, brilliance. This is interesting. As a married man, I got to give him props for this little fact coming up. Roddy Piper, who was married at the time, refused to take his wedding ring off. That's why in several scenes you see a wedding band on his on his hand, which is, you know, mm-hmm. props, props. This is the pettiness of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. God damn it, fucking <laughs> So Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who is... Vince McMahon, the owner of the World Wrestling Federation, World the Wrestling Entertainment, chairman and the CEO of what an asshole. Go ahead. I got damn it, pal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Vince McMahon did not want Piper to do the film. Uh, Carpenter said, "Yeah, I figured." Uh, McMahon told Piper that he would find him 
a different film at the same pay rate within four weeks, but Piper passed and ended up splitting and quitting the company, which that's why his last appearance until 1990 was at WrestleMania three against right. uh, beautiful Adrian Adonis. Um, mm-hmm. Carpenter uh, asked why McMahon was so persistent for him not to make the film and Piper says McMahon's a control freak and that's pretty much the only explanation and as a wrestling fan and just seeing we can see that now folks oh yeah oh yeah I I, I gotta say as a wrestling fan in 2022 I missed a days of Vince just say what a maneuver and just call it (laughs) and just calling it a day (laughs) I'm I'm glad Kirk chuckled at that one I know I know Jack was like what the fuck is Dave talking about (laughs) <laughs> um, my, my, my brother, my brothers were into wrestling. I had I had some distaste towards it because they were hogging the TV Friday nights for SmackDown. So unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> One, two. Oh, he just didn't. He was great on commentary, <laughs> yeah, man. I agree. Yeah. I I gotta say, like it's funny as I get older and commentary and wrestling is so bad nowadays. Except Pat McAfee, I, I agree. And I'm like, God, I actually miss Vince McMahon on commentary. It was just yep. it if it, it's essentially the 80s camp we like because he had no go ahead I no apologize. go ahead no vince Vin- vince and monsoon vince and yes. jesse vince and yes. jerry lawler like give me all that and vince and macho vince and savage doing the first few few i shouldn't say first few like uh a couple years there on uh, uh monday saturday night main event and monday night raw mm-hmm. phenomenal stuff the chemistry oh live for that and that may not be the only chemistry Macho Man had with the McMahon, but that is another yeah. story for another podcast. Uh, speaking of Macho Man Randy Savage, that leads us to my next fact with uh, the life's of bitch and she's back in heat is Macho Man Randy Savage's favorite line in the film. And the last one, which is a little bit of a piggyback off what Jack mentioned before about Kurt Russell. While I didn't know Kurt Russell was the first choice, there were a few actors from the 80s that were considered to play now that... Um, and they're all, for the most part, bangers. We have, this is a long list, so I don't know. The internet never lies, right, guys? So we have uh, Alec Baldwin, Michael Bean, Brian Bosworth, Jeff Bridges, Bruce Campbell, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Tommy Lee Jones, Michael Keaton, Christopher Lambert, Stephen Lang, Dolph Lundgren, Michael Madsen, Bill Paxton, Ron Perlman, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Patrick Swayze, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Bruce Willis. My question to you guys before we finish is, which do you actually believe? Wait, can I pick my two two out of that? Who oh, I yeah. would like to see? Go for it. Go for it. Um, Van Dam. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it turns this it turns this up to like a level fifteen. Um, and Harrison Ford, because I think he brings like a funny gravitas to it, where it actually makes this film a mainstream success. And because his... I think people would have people would have came to the theater to be like. Ford's in a, in a horror movie. We got it. Well, we and sure we probably sit there just wondering what he was saying because he um uh, <laughs> he loves Tom. Yeah, yeah. Keith David. What about you, Jack? Who would you have picked out of this lineup? I, I liked both of Kurtz, but I would love to see Bruce Campbell in this movie. Mm-hmm. This was like right. This is like right around the time with like Evil Dead Two. Yeah. So he's starting to get that self aware horror. So I mm-hmm. think he could have delivered some groovy one-liners in this yeah. one too yeah and I, I i love the bruce campbell i love the jean-claude van damme i think those are my would be my two um i the only and some of these i don't believe i think alec baldwin it was too pretty at the time to do this yeah, there's I no do. i don't 100%. think he would play that it's not believable no. michael keaton was doing batman so there's no way that's true um yeah. tommy lee jones probably the worst of the choices I yeah. yeah yeah hundred percent doesn't fit at all. Like no. everyone else, actually, I could I could see, but uh, but yeah, that would be, would have been some interesting casting if it were to happen. But uh, yeah, that wraps up this month's chop talk. I I had a great time talking about this movie. This is uh a must for every horror fan out there, and we are going to continue the the John Carpenter marathon for the next few months because next month we are doing an unsung hero of Carpenter scores and. Probably one of his most divisive films, Prince of Darkness. Oh, yeah. I pick, baby. So excited. <laughs> uh, Jack, what do you? What have you ever heard of Prince of Darkness until I just mentioned it right now? 
You mentioning it right now. <laughs> well, actually, no. On the list that you sent me for the yeah. podcast, and that's it. All I got to say about Prince of Darkness is before watching Prince of Darkness and seeing who was in it, all I could think about was the guy from Three Ninjas. Mm-hmm. Well, well, if you had just told me about Prince of Darkness without giving me any horror context, I would have guessed it was like a biopic about Gordon Willis or something like that. <laughs> Buckle up, motherfucker. You're oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and if you and if you liked Alice Cooper before, you're gonna mm-hmm. love him even more next month. So uh let's let's uh end on this note. Kurt, as always, thank you for joining us. Can you do you want to plug anything? Gentlemen, I came here to talk chop and kick ass. And I'm all out of chop. I'll leave it at that. Jack, I don't think you can top that. Uh, yeah, follow the League of Cinephiles on YouTube. <laughs> follow it on Instagram. Uh, check out the Critics Circle on Instagram as well. And, and thank you for having me on, of course. Of course, and welcome aboard. And I'm not going to try to top Kurt, but all I got to say is um, remember to always acknowledge this bloodline. Until next month. <laughs>